Grace and peace. You're listening to United We Pray. Taking racial struggles to the throne of grace, United We Pray is a ministry devoted to prayer about racial strife, especially between Christians. We want to help Christians pray and think about race in ways that are biblical and helpful, clear and hopeful. You can learn more about our work at uwepray.com. That's U-W-E-P-R-A-Y.com, where you can find articles, previous episodes, and more. Friends, thank you so much for listening to another episode from United We Pray. This is Austin Suter. I'm joined today by Dan Darling. Dan is director of the Land Center for Cultural Engagement and assistant professor of faith and culture at Texas Baptist College. He is a husband, father, churchman, and internet nice guy. Dan, am I missing anything? I mean, uh, Chicago sports fan, long suffering. That's that's unfortunate. (laughs) I identify with the the futility there. I'm sorry. Yes, long suffering, but... Anyways, hey, we got the number one pick that the Chicago Bears do, so okay. all hope hope springs eternal. There you go. Can you tell us a little bit more about your role at the Land Center? Yeah, so the Land Center is, um, it's a, uh, this Center for Cultural Engagement here at Southwestern. I think the idea is uh, to help Christians think thoughtfully about stewarding our, not just stewarding our citizenship, but what does it look like to live faithfully as a Christian in the 21st century in in America in the West, so thinking through politics and policy, but also the kind of wide range of culture. You know, what what does that look like? Um, it's named after Richard Land, who is president of the Ethics and Religious Liberty Commission uh, for about 25 years, and so just really good. we're able to do some really neat stuff. We we're, we host conversations, we have speakers come in. I'm also teaching. Uh, we have a uh, faith and culture concentration in our undergrad program. So if you're looking to sort of be involved in activism or to work in public office or public service in some way, it's a great training ground uh, for that. So really excited about what we're able to do here. Yeah, that sounds great. We'll link to that in the show notes. It sounds like you're sort of just trying to help Christians grow and bring biblical knowledge to bear on cultural and political issues, which absolutely sounds like a worthwhile mission. Um, So how do you Uh, think about this idea of a Christian worldview or Christian perspective. And I ask because it it seems like uh, Christians from various traditions often have different ways of thinking about or prioritizing different issues. And I've gotten to be a little suspicious of folks who sort of prop themselves up as saying, I have the Christian perspective on an issue. And I don't, I don't see you doing that. You seem a lot more humble than that. So how do you keep perspective? Well, well, I think we have to back up and say, you know, uh, what does it look like to be to be a faithful Christian in this in this age? You know, and ask ourselves, you know, hey, we've been given um, you know, this enormous stewardship, especially as an American, but even if in the West of of a freedom and the the opportunity in some way to shape the world around us, whether it's uh uh the politics, whether it's the laws, the policies, or just other ways we shape culture. And so I think we have to ask ourselves, what does that look like to be faithful? I don't think there's a model. I, I don't think a model of total disengagement really works. You know, if if um, we take seriously Jesus' command to love our neighbors ourselves, uh, and we have an opportunity to shape the world in which our neighbor lives in through our voice, through our vote, through, you know, engaging in, in our communities in some constructive way, whether it's building a business or speaking out on issues or running for uh, school board or 
other cultural uh, things we cultural artifacts we create uh, and and we don't do it. I think um, how do we tell our neighbor that we truly love them if we don't, right? So how do we tell our impoverished neighbor or unborn neighbor or you know if you're you know if, uh, living as a someone with some kind of agency a uh, hundred years ago, how do you tell your um, enslaved neighbor or or someone like that? Um, you know, 150 years ago or so, how do you tell them that you had power to do something, but you didn't? So I, I'm not sure that that model works as Jesus says, to love your neighbors yourself. I also think when we look at Romans 13, it talks about the goodness of government and um, how God has given authority to delegate authority to government for good. Well, in a country where we live, that's of the people, by the people, for the people, we share in some of that power. So I think Romans 13 is not just written to those in authority, it's written to us. And then you kind of take the whole entire creation mandate, like what is culture, right? Where if, if we take that seriously, that we're to, we've been given a mandate to uh, go throughout all creation and take the raw materials that God has given us and and create something for his glory. We are, because we're image bearers, we we create because we have a, we were created by a creator. So I think all that put that together says that we have to have some kind of involvement. Now, what that looks like, Christians dif- disagree, right? There's all kinds of models of, about what engagement looks like. I actually think that doesn't just differ tradition to tradition, as you mentioned, but I actually think it, it differs depending on calling, right? So a pastor in a local community will have a different calling than, say, someone who's been called by God to run for Senate. A, a stay-at-home mom will have a different calling in that season of life than someone who's called to be a CEO of a corporation. Uh, you know, someone who is a local mechanic working faithfully in their community, going to church, all that will have a different calling than say someone who is called to, to be a columnist or a writer to shape things. So I, I think we have to respect callings as well, but I do think at some level, every Christian has to be involved in some way in, in shaping the world around us. I appreciate just your care there and not binding the conscience, right? And saying mm-hmm. that you're, it seems like, I, I don't mean to put words in your mouth, but it seems like you're trying to to prime the pump and provoke people to start thinking in these ways and challenge them on ways they might love their neighbor well, and then sort of leave the the venue or avenue up to them. Is that, mm-hmm. is that fair? Well, absolutely. I, I do think there's certain issues, you know, and, and I, one of the books that I recommend when I teach uh, a class at church in the culture, I, I use a lot of different resources, but... You know Jonathan Lehman's book, why the why the nations rage. He talks about things that are straight line and jagged line things, you know. And I think he borrows that from someone, but he's really good in that in that book. And there are certain things Christians have to believe, right? If you are really going to be faithful to the scriptures, if you're going to do as Jesus said, if you love me, keep my commandments. So there's certain core things that we have to believe. But then there's a lot of issues that are matters of prudence, you know. I'm fairly conservative, so I have opinions on, you know, what the marginal tax rates should be and other things, but I can't bind the conscience on those things. And so two Christians might come at an issue, say like taxes or even healthcare and say, we both agree that people should have access to good healthcare for their flourishing, but we kind of disagree on how to get there or where the line should be between the government and the free market and all that. So I, I think we have to have charity in those things, even as we have good debates and we have people in those spaces making good arguments. So distinguishing what's what's a matter of 
that we can't that we can't um, sort of budge on and what what things we we can be open handed about. Sure. This this also gets to issues of epistemology, right? Because any times mm -hmm. we're I, engaging big ideas like this, we get into questions of truth and how we know what is true. And I think there's a, a temptation among some Christians just to have a negative epistemology, which is to mm -hmm. say they try to discern what is true by opposing whatever the other side mm. is saying, whoever that other side is for them. You've been a vocal opponent of that approach. Can you tell me why? Yeah, I'm really disturbed because I think uh, we're, we're in such a polarized age where we take a lot of our identity from the sort of political team that we're on. And and I'm, I'm not saying that people shouldn't join parties or shouldn't be, you know, join movements, right? I think in this uh, system of, of government, in this way that we sort of organize ourselves here in the United States, it's prudent for a lot of folks to join a political party or to kind of see themselves in, on one side or the other. But I think with the danger of that is when that tribal loyalty becomes more important than any anything else in terms of our allegiance and it, it starts shaping us, right? So I have a friend that that really says it really well. He says that we should look at political parties and movements as mission fields, that we go into them as, you know, they're not our home base, but they're a mission field, right? So we're shaped and formed and, and, and catechized, we should be, by the scriptures and not by our, these voices and these pundits. Then we go into these places and sometimes there's alignment with the, what we believe and sometimes there's not. But if we're if we're shaped by tribal loyalties only, we'll have what you described as negative epistemology. I think I first got that from a friend of mine, Samuel James, who wrote a great piece on this last year. But and someone else may have originated it. But it's the idea that your sort of filter for what you believe and your ethic is shaped by being opposed to the people you're opposed to, and you know contrarianism and skepticism can sometimes be useful. But it's a really poor ethic. The idea that I'm just going to be opposed to something because someone else is for it. And what happens is it lands you in weird places where you're actually defending things or that you should oppose and you're opposing things you should defend. You know, I think of the way, for instance, we think about, you know, this has been the news, you know, in the last few weeks, but presidents and the way that they take care of classified documents, right? We had President Trump who, Famously took too many classified documents down to Mar-a-Lago. He was caught, you know, there was a whole situation with him. Clearly was a violation of the law. Republicans are saying, eh, it's not a big deal. Democrats are like, hey, it's the end of the republic. You know, we need to, it's a problem. Well, then all of a sudden we find out that President Biden, when he was VP, left the VP's office, he took documents with him. And he's got an issue. He's got documents in his garage. So now it's flipped and Republicans think it's the end of the Republic. We got to, you know, impeach the president. Democrats are like, ah, it's not a big deal. So, you know, if, if you get caught up in that sort of time warp instead of actually stepping back and saying, okay, what is right and what's wrong here? That doesn't mean every single issue is symmetrical and every single issue is a both sides issue. I think that can be a trap too, where you just actually never take a stand or you never say what's right. But I think we just have to be wise and not developing a negative epistemology. And I think this happens not just in politics, it happens in the church too, right? Maybe there's a voice that you don't agree with on, on a particular issue. Maybe it's soteriology. Maybe it's style of worship. Maybe that person is in a a tribe of people that, that you don't see yourself in or whatever. So anything they say, you just don't, you're, you're just going to disagree. 
I mean, a great example of this is yesterday, Tim Keller, who I love and who's one of my heroes, he just tweets out a simple thing. You know, one thing if, about Tim Keller, you know about him, that he prioritizes reading through the Bible every year, which I think he credits for his preaching and everything. He's got the content of the word in him for all those years. So he tweets out something like, one of the most important things you can do as a Christian is read through the Bible every year, which, I mean, I'm 40, almost 45, Austin, and pastors have been saying that my whole life since I was like, you know, a kid. In a lot of ways, I can't think of a less controversial statement. Right. I mean, ma mainly if he would have said, you know, the sky is blue, would be less controversial. He tweets that out and there's people that are mad at him for it on both sides. And I think some of that's just driven by negative epistemology. I don't agree with Keller here. Keller tweets this, therefore I'm against Keller. And we do this in all sorts of ways. And for Christians, I think it's it's harmful because we're unable to have good discernment and we're not able to appreciate um, good from someone that on something else we might disagree with or whatever. And we're unable to, to see those things. And it's really dangerous because our ethic is being formed by negativity instead of by the word of God. And if, and if you follow that to its logical conclusions, it'll take you to places that are really in, in not a good place. So do I hear you saying that being a contrarian is not the same thing as being discerning? Right. That's exactly right. And I actually think contrarianism as a baseline ethic, contrarianism in some ways is easier. And Oh, it's way easier. I don't want to say lazier because I, I don't want to assume bad motives. And I get sometimes why certain people that you have such profound disagreements with, you're going to be very skeptical of what they say. There's, there, there's a place for that, I think. But I do think it's easier just to say everything this person says is just wrong and I don't have to think. Um, and you're kind of letting that shape your, your view. And I, I just think as believers, we have to say, what does scripture say? How do we reason through this? How, how do we think through this? What is the spirit saying before we, we sort of, um, uh, automatically, you know, um, uh, instinctively, this person says that I'm opposed or on the, on the flip side, this person's for it. So I must be for it. It's like, <laughs> Have we thought about this, you know? No, I think that's good. And I, I appreciate your, um, your bringing us back sort of into the church because we can certainly see where this is, you know, the case in political mm -hmm. life. And we can theorize as to why Christians might be being discipled in that approach by one avenue or another or their favorite cable news or social media followers or whatever. But in the church, I think we can we can kind of rely on the same familiar sources as, you know, the good guys. Those are the ones to go to for truth. And it, it's not even so much that we could even demonize or, or neglect others. It's just they're unfamiliar to us. And that might mean that we, we just don't regularly seek them out as people to learn from. Mm -hmm. And where it, it connects back to race is that it's no secret that Christians in America often segregate by race in their churches and in their neighborhoods and in their friend groups. So if we're going to learn from our brothers and sisters, we won't do that if we just reflexively oppose anything that comes from outside of our normal channels of information. Does that sound right to you? I think so. And I get why there's a lot of frustration and fatigue on this issue on all sides, really. But, you know, there's just a weariness I see in the last few years. It's just both in the church and in the larger world. But I do think as Christians, we have to take seriously the gospel call to racial reconciliation. You know, Ephesians and Galatians and 
Revelation 5 and 7, and really the whole arc of, of Scripture, even going back to Abraham, where God promises, as Derwin Gray says, God has promised Abraham a multi-ethnic family. And so it's wearying, and there's, there's a sense in which it's like, I just don't want to get involved in the fray, because whatever I do, I'm doing it wrong, or I'm going to get grief. But I do think we have to stay in there on this. And I think this it really matters that that we, as much as we can, try to embody the what the church will look like in heaven and try to heal wounds in society. But but I think um, part of that is just sitting down and talking with people that we might not think we have common ground with, or we might even disagree with, and to give people the benefit of the doubt, especially brothers and sisters in Christ. You know, one of the things about Colossians, not Colossians, First uh, Corinthians thirteen, the love chapter. One thing, one of the characteristics of love, Paul says, is that love believes all things. Doesn't mean we're naive. Doesn't mean we're not wise. But we give people the benefit of the doubt. And if Jesus says that we're to be known, like like our apologetic to the world, this is what Francis Schaeffer said. He said the God has given the world the right to judge the truth of Christianity by the way that Christians treat each other. If that's the case, then one of the things we should do is give each other the benefit of doubt to say especially on this issue, you know, this person says it in a way that, man, I don't know that I would say it that way, but maybe they're really trying, maybe they're really earnest, or this person comes off a little too strong on this, they're that thing, but they're good people. And I'm going to try to learn and listen what they're saying. This is one thing that Isaac really, I think really emphasizes in, in his book, uh, uh, your co-host Isaac Adams, you know, he, 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 emphasize in his book to to have people sit down together and say, let's work through this. I have a book coming out on Christian unity and I talk a little bit about this that we need to we need to be we need to be determined to not let go of our relationships. There's so much today that wants to pull these apart. You know, r- racial tension in the country, COVID issues that are fading but they're still lingering things, political things. And uh, we have to say, man, I'm gonna, I'm not gonna let these friends go, these brothers and sisters go. I may disagree with them, I may get frustrated with them, I may get annoyed with them, but I'm not gonna let them go. Uh, I, I think it's so important. I, I don't want to just come off sounding Pollyanna. I think there's a real issues of justice and 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 racism and things that have to be addressed. So I'm not saying just this Pollyannish like pretend nothing's happening, but I do think people of goodwill who really care. You know, part of the way we have to start is with love and, and saying, how do we love each other well? Um, I think Dr. King, one of the messages he preached was love, even as he spoke hard words on justice. And he he called the country to live up to its ideals. And he spoke out against white supremacy. He also talked a lot about love. And, and uh, I think that's important for us. Yeah, I mean, I don't know when this episode is going to, you know, come out, but we happen to be recording this on Dr. Martin Luther King Day. Um, so any final words as you think about particularly maybe white, maybe conservative evangelicals to encourage them to learn about the Christian experience out sort of outside of sort of white evangelicalism? Yeah, I think there's a, a number of things. I think reading well is good. I think there are some really good resources. And, you know, I read, you know, early on when I, I started reading like biographies of Martin Luther King, I started reading uh, man, like Phil Philip Yancey was writing about his experience in the South growing up. Uh, and it made me realize like this is a real thing. 
he had his book soul survivor he has a he has a chapter in there where he profiles mlk um i think the book the warmth of other sons was really helpful uh just mercy brian stevenson there's also some really good books written in the last couple of years for Christians that I think are really helpful. I think Isaac Adams book, I know I'm on your podcast, so you, I promise you didn't pay me to say that really incredibly helpful for pastors and church leaders, church members who want to walk through this and, and written in such a unique way to sort of almost bring down to earth actual real conversations that would be had. Uh, I think Derwin Gray's book is really helpful. Yeah, it is. George Yancey has written on a lot of the sociological stuff to really help us think biblically about, you know, there's some approaches to the issue that are unhelpful. There's some that are helpful. I'm missing a bunch of folks, but I think trying to read and trying to be earnest on it. I think one of the things we want to avoid is, is being pulled by our tribe to saying, I'm I'm just going to be, you know, I'm not going to listen and think about this. I think another danger is to be, we can easily use causes for self-righteousness. So our motive has to be, I really want to, I really want to help heal this country. I want to help heal my community. I want to help heal our church. I want to be someone who can do that. There's a real, it's real easy for activism on not just this issue, but a range of issues to almost use it as a way of projecting our self-righteousness and signaling, hey, guys, just so you know, I'm on the good side. And that doesn't really actually help and advocate for the issue that we care about. And it, it's, I think, counterproductive. But but we ask ourselves, what can we do? And, and a lot of times I think it's local. It's incarnational. It's, you know, I get discouraged about the issue of race when I think about big national issues and politics. I actually get more encouraged when I go around the country and I see local believers who don't have podcasts and don't have books and aren't tweeting, just trying their best to be faithful in their communities to, to do things and seeing what churches are trying to do. That, that encourages me. I have the same experience. It's just, yeah, the smaller you get and sort of the closer the, to the ground you get, as opposed to seeing these things on Twitter or on the news, or whatever it's the Lord is doing good things. And so we're, we're encouraged to hear that and see that as always. Um, brother, thank you so much for being on. We, we like to close these things out in prayer. Um, would you mind opening us and then I can, uh, I can close us out? Absolutely. Dear Heavenly Father, we're so thankful and grateful for the good news of the gospel. We're thankful that um, as hard and difficult as our world can be, as the headlines are so discouraging and um, so it just sometimes can make us cynical. We're thankful that the gospel is true, that you have died and rose, risen again for us and that you've that Jesus has risen from the grave and he's uh, not only uh, saved us, but he is renewing and restoring the world. And um, there's a better world coming that this is not, we know the world is not as it should be, but we're grateful that there's a better world coming. And Lord, I pray that you would help us to be your uh, agents of healing and grace in our communities. Lord, help the local churches and pastors even listening who are really working hard to be faithful to you, to, to teach the word to bring about unity in their body, to to be healing agents in their communities, that you would be with them and bless them and 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 um, give them special measure of strength as they uh, step into this calling and, and sometimes difficult situations. Lord, thankful, thank you for the ministry of uh, United We Pray, and I pray that you would help to flourish and grow and uh, 
that you would bless the work of our hands. In your name we pray. Amen. Father, thank you for Dan. Thank you for the work you've given him to do at Southwestern at the Land Center. Lord, we pray for many years of ministry and influence there. Lord, uh, for for all of us, we just pray for increased wisdom to know truth from error, to know um, when to apply certain truths, when to look outside of ourselves and outside of our tribes. Lord, make us uh, people of your word who discern truth um, independently of, of cultural winds or political pressures or, or anything else. Lord, help us to be uh, people of truth who love you and love our neighbors well as a result. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Thank you for listening to this episode of United We Pray. You can find more information about our work at uwepray.com. That's U-W-E-P-R-A-Y.com. United We Pray is a donor-supported ministry, and if you are interested in supporting our work, you can find out more information on the website. In prayer.